This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. The Johor State elections were held on Saturday and, as predicted by many analysts, the UMNO-led Barisan National Coalition staged a convincing return. BN won two-thirds majority in the State Assembly amid a somewhat subdued voter turnout of around 54%. BFM's resident Johorian Dashran Johan joins me today for some colour on what happened over the weekend and what these election results could mean for the country in GE15. He's also the presenter of Beyond the Ballot Box, a weekly show on BFM discussing electoral issues in Malaysia. Dash, good morning. It's been quite the weekend for Johor. Good morning. Yes, um, it's it's been a weekend, certainly. Um, you just yesterday, uh, I was talking to you about this like off air. I was stuck in a seven hour traffic jam from Johor coming back to KL. So extremely exhausting. Yeah, it was certainly an eventful and colorful weekend. <laughs> well, let's get into that. Let's get into that. Let's go a little bit back in time because it does feel like an age since the political rigmarole in Johor leading up to these elections. I do think it's worth recapping just for posterity how we got to this point. So Johor was one of those states that um, flipped over to Pakatan Harapan during GE14. Could you briefly remind us what happened to the state government following the Sheraton move of 2020? Yeah, so Johor was one of those um, um, states that flipped, like you mentioned. Um, it was uh, and it has, it was uh, it is Amno's birthplace. Um, so it was one of those that um, people who voted for Pakatan Harapan uh, or just generally everybody was monitoring like the elections were really lo- looking at Johor, right, and saying like, you know, if you can flip Johor, then you will most likely win GE fourteen and things like that. And Pakatan did flip Johor. Um, for the first time, it went to opposition. Um, after Lanka Sheraton and uh, Johor was one of the many states that uh, flipped back to um, Amno Barisan National slash Perikata National at the time. And it's because Bersatu um, were one of the, uh, the key sort of components that helped um, Pakatan Harapan claim the Johor State Assembly. And Bersatu, as we know, um, everyone or like a large majority of them, um, from whether it's the Aduns or the MPs, um, after Lanka Sheraton, they left, uh, they followed uh, Tatri Muhyiddin Yassin and, and all of that, and they formed Perikatan National, leaving um, Tun M and, and a few others like Said Sade and all um, still on the opposition side. Because of um, Bersatu's switch and also a, lot, a, a few others um, who defected from Pakatan, uh, from PKR specifically, yeah, that's pretty much what happened is because Bersatu left and uh, formed Perikatan National and then Johor, just like uh, a few other states, um, flipped over back to the government. Okay. And from what I understand, the State Assembly in Johor, it was a pretty uh, slim majority for this new Barisan National, Perikatan National Coalition. Um, and there was considerable back and forth in December and January on the necessity of state elections after uh, Kumpas MP Dato Osman Sapian, who was a Bursatu member after he passed away. So Chief Minister Dato Hasni Muhammad ultimately advised the Sultan of Johor to dissolve the state assembly. Um, do you think the reasons he gave were convincing? Because at that time, Barisan National, Brigata National, they were still in control of the assembly, yeah? Yeah, so, and this is what's interesting, right? Like, you People ask, like, why is this elections happening, right? This, this, this Johor State elections. And, and honestly, there's no proper reason. Um, we are in the middle of a pandemic. A lot of people have highlighted this. Um, and, and so we, ultimately, ideally, you like to prevent elections from happening um, unless there's absolutely no choice. Um, 
uh, let's say if it dissolves automatically or what, in like in the uh, the case of Srawa, where you know you you had to go on mm. with elections. But in the case of Johor, it's similar to Malacca. It didn't need to happen. And what's interesting is that, like you mentioned, Amno um, uh, and the the, uh, the government side, you know, Amno uh, Barisan National, they were the government. They were the incumbent, but it was a slim majority. And according to them, what they wanted, their reasoning is they wanted a bigger majority that they can only um, govern properly and smoothly with a bigger majority. Um, a lot of people we don't buy that because you can collaborate with the opposition. The opposition were um, saying we can sign our own MOU. We can do a lot of different things that we can collaborate and, and make this work. You don't need to call for an elections right now. Um, and so there is, if you ask the opposition, there's also this narrative where they say that, you know, this is, you know, in the works because Barisan National is testing, um, um, testing the waters to see whether their popularity has grown to, you know, the, the levels of the old age, um, whether they can, um, you know, looking, at, you know, test in Malacca, test in Johor. And if if they have, uh, if they are they're convinced that they can, um, that their popularity is back, then they call for general elections. Um and essentially, like uh, peop- some experts and all have pointed to the fact that, you know, this could be sort of a, a, a ploy um, in a way to get um, the likes of um, the court cluster of uh, Amno, as many have uh, labeled them, back into power. But at the same time, on the flip side, um, I've even spoken to Thomas Fan about this from Thomas Fan of Bursay. And he said that uh, he brought up a very good point, which he said that, yes, um, you can look at it on from all these different angles. And, and a lot of them do hold weight. Like, why hold, why call for an election? Is this a ploy? Yada, yada, yada. But a- any incumbent does have the right uh, to dissolve parliament whenever they feel like it to give back the mandate to the people. This wasn't a case of party hopping to form a new government or anything like that. They dissolved it, returned the mandate to the people. And any incumbent, regardless of who the government, whether it can be Amno Barisa National, any other party, most incumbents would want to dissolve parliament at the strategic time in which they feel they can come back and win it. Um, you won't want to dissolve it at, at a point where you feel you're weakest and all. And so from that perspective, we can't really say um, what Amno did was a wrong thing. Right. Um, it certainly wasn't anything that was unconstitutional or mm-hmm. anything like that. So it depends on um, which side of the fence um, perhaps uh, you lie and, and what side of the narrative you want to buy in. Um, but yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that these elections didn't need to happen, especially during the pandemic. Right, right, right. And it it's interesting when you highlight that political strategy involved mm-hmm. in when to dissolve a state assembly or when to dissolve parliament. Yeah, that's just mm-hmm. how the system works at the moment. You want to choose that right. time that's most beneficial to you. Let's zoom into the constitu- constituency where you vote, Dash. And, mm-hmm. and that's in Kempas. Um, that's right. It was one of the most hotly contested seats uh, with a seven-corner fight involving all the major coalitions, uh, even three independents. Um, what were the battle lines in Kompas? Who are these parties trying to win over? So this is a Kompas is a very interesting right uh, neighborhood because it's a old residential neighborhood. But on the surface, it doesn't look like one of these um, hot seats. You know, it's not one of those like or oh, Johor. You know, in the city center, Johor Bahru. I, I mean, largely it does fall under the Johor Bahru sort of uh, district, but um, it's under the Pulai constituency. It seems it's just like this very old residential neighborhood. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, there's like factory, uh, vill- small villages there as well. Um, it's a lot of suburban sort of neighborhoods and uh, different age groups, but a lot of um, older folks there as well. 
And, um, you know, it, it was a very crowded seven-cornered fight. I think the, the constituency had more than 62,000 registered voters this time compared to 43,000 in 2018 um, because of the, the automatic voter registration and Undi 18. Um, and the thing is, like, it was interesting. Um, uh, most of the issues that people were focused on um, if you are, I, I was on the ground, I asked around and, you know, even like, I mean, I talked to my friends and family who are uh, based in Johor, like I'm based in Selangor right now. I go back to Johor to vote, but a lot of people who, um, uh, who are based and they live in Johor and all, and the issues that they are looking at, um, you know, were like issues like minimum wage, fresh graduate wages, um, affordable housing, healthcare, like people are looking at you know, the people asking, look at the state of the main public hospital in, in Johor. Um, you know, like it, it is the, the hospital that, you know, like the news have, we have seen the news in the past have caught fire and, and things like mm. that. So people are saying, why, 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 why aren't we upgrading these things? So I think largely people were focused on bread and butter issues, especially young people. Mm. Was this reflected in the camp? I mean, I don't know if you managed to catch any campaigning since you um, went back over the weekend, but uh, did, did, you, did you hear whether these issues were reflected in the campaigning that was being conducted by all the, these candidates, these many candidates in Kampas? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. And honestly, like uh, it was brought up here and there. I didn't manage to go to every single um, charama that was held, but I held, I, I did watch uh, like the Facebook lives and uh, I've seen like charamas, not just in Kampas, across Johor. And, the thing is, like these issues, yes, they were brought up. Um, in fact, they were brought up. I, I would say perhaps a lot more. Um, by, uh, frankly speaking, uh, by Barisan National, who Bridget on the previous below, uh, beyond the uh, Bridget Welch, Dr. Bridget Welch, um, she's a researcher and a political scientist on the previous Beyond the Ballot Box show. She said that in fact Barisan National, uh, frankly speaking, had the best manifesto because opposition. Um, were solely, for the most part, okay, solely is probably not the right word, um, but for the most part, their narrative, the, the key highlights um, that they were talking about, they were harping on, is 1MDB, um, anti-Najib, anti-Amno, anti-Barisan National, which they have been talking about for years and years and years. And in fact, like that, you know, they, that, that was, you know, largely one of the may perhaps could be the sentiment that really drove um, the results of GE14. But a lot of people are saying like this is done, you know, in that sense, nobody is saying we shouldn't highlight um, um, corruption. Nobody is saying you should talk, stop talking about 1MDB. But these things are very important. But especially when we look at a state election, because this is not a general election, people want to focus on local issues. Let the courts do, you know, due process take its course. Um, he is on, Dr. Uh, Sri Najib is on trial and all. People want to know, okay, yes, we voted. If you're an opposition supporter, I mean, you voted against Najib in GE14. But what next? What are you going to do for us? Not just, okay, you are a cleaner version of the same coin perhaps or, or things like that. People want to know about social safety nets. People want to know about the issues that I highlighted. What are you, are you going to fight for a higher minimum wage? Are you going to fight for higher fresh graduate wages, affordable housing? Housing in Johor is so unaffordable right now. Um, it's just luxury condos uh, mushrooming everywhere um, and that caters largely to the Singaporean market, to the ultra wealthy. Um, it's it, it, regular people especially young people they cannot afford anything so people are asking the opposition how are you going to what are you going to give us or what are you going to what policies are you going to implement to solve these issues and this is the thing that that wasn't really highlighted by opposition as a whole 
I'm discussing the outcome of the Johor State elections with fellow BFM presenter Dashran Johan, who cast his vote in Kumpas on Saturday. More conversation after the break. BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. I'm Shazana, and with me today is Dashran Johan, BFM presenter with The Bigger Picture and host of Beyond the Ballot Box. We're going over the highlights of Saturday's Johor state elections. Dash, walk me through what happened on the day of voting. Was your voting centre in Kampas particularly busy or eventful? Uh, that's a, it's, it wasn't, honestly. Um, I remember, and, and this, uh, honestly speaking, could be G14 was the first time I voted. So there's definitely that sort of... Um, excitement. You know, that, that excitement <laughs> and that, that sort of um, magic, uh, this, this new feeling um, that perhaps you cannot be... Rapid. Maybe I'm looking at it through that lens, but um, I, I don't think so because there was, you know, I remember going at G14 and, and the crowd... There was this sense of energy and excitement, and and you you know like people were lining up like there was a huge line even before um you were the the gates were polling stations were open like people who wanted to you know go and vote um this time around not so much necessarily um you know it it felt very subdued there was a sense of coldness to these elections but the thing is I I think that it's not just um, because people were disinterested I think that is a uh, you know, needs to be taken into account. But at the same time, this time around, there were COVID-19 SOPs. And one of the SOPs was that um, there were allotted time slots. So everybody got like, okay, if you check like my SPR, they'll say like, I encourage your, your master digalakan uh, mengundi is like, let's say eight to nine o'clock in the morning or 12 to two o'clock in the morning. I so I think that sort of, um, sort of broke up the, 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 the the people and then people sort of streamed in slowly throughout the day. I think most people actually followed um, the, the, the allotted time slots. And so that could perhaps um, make it seem like it wasn't as exciting. But I mean, it's undeniable um, that, of course, uh, these elections did not have that same sort of, of fervor right. and hype of the previous election. The vibe was definitely different. I noticed that voter turnout in Kampas was just under 50%, which is lower than the state average for these elections, which was around 53-54%. What do you think prevented people from going out to vote? So that's a good question. I think uh, when we look at voter turnout, um, it's undeniable. I, I think like finally, for the first time ever, we are looking at some real important numbers to see just how much the overall Malaysian um, population is engaged in politics. Because prior to this, um, for all the elections that have ever happened in Malaysian history, until the Malacca election that happened a few months ago, um, when, they, when you look at voter turnout, like say if they say 80% voter turnout, 70% voter turnout, we're talking about voter turnout based on registered voters. So if you register, you're most likely already interested in politics to some degree because you're making the effort to go to the post office. And then um, of that registered voters, whoever turns out, that would be the percentage. But now because of automatic voter registration and Undi 18, the moment you hit 18, you're a registered voter. That automa- You don't have to go to the post office and all of that. Stuff. So now when they say 50% voter turnout, it's 50% of the uh, entire adult population. So that's, it's, it's, uh, it's really bad. That means it shows that only 50% is, is engaged in, in politics. And, and the thing is, it's why, why the voter turnout? I, I think it's largely because um, people were, number one, um, if, when you look at, like, say, the, the, the Harapan supporters, uh, people who supported opposition in the past, there was this feeling that, um, number one, what did y'all accomplish in 22 months? Um, 
Now that's the question that people ask. Um, people people talk about the infighting that happens very frequently and has continued to happen right up to like the seat negotiation periods um, between the opposition parties, which is just like two weeks, three weeks before um, a nomination day. Um, you know, all of this, there's a lot of infighting. People are asking about issues. People want to know um, bread and butter issues like we talked about uh, in the first half of the show. Uh, people are looking at all these things, manifestos. I think the way people, especially younger people or just generally the, the period people look at politics is has starting to change it's slowly slowly starting to change and people are becoming more issue focused people want to know what are your offer and people what, what's on the plate and also people are looking at new leaders people are looking at, at young um, fresh faces coming into the fold uh, and a lot of these things were not very exciting for voters when they look at um, Harapan uh, on the Harapan side of things also um, you know people are looking at oh look at the leaders of Pakatan Harapan it's the same um, Anwar Ibrahim Lim Guaning and, and it's these kind of things and you know what, why and, and that perhaps explains why um, Perikatan National somehow did pretty well I'm considering relatively well um, especially when we look at the vote shares um, and, and they were ultimately a bigger force this election the seat may not necessarily reflect that because of the way electoral boundaries are drawn and whatnot. But when we look at the, the vote shares, Prikata National did pretty well because they seem like this fresh thing. Whereas I think the, the, the considerable like Harapan couldn't mobilize their support strongly enough to, to really come out because people didn't feel this, this sense of excitement and they, they weren't really crunching down and focusing on important bread and butter issues. Okay, so it, it ultimately the lack of voters turning out, as analysts have spoken before, it really did impact the opposition um, rather than the um, Barisan National or even Perikata National um, coalitions. Um, mm -hmm. We have about three minutes, Dash. Let's quickly go through the results. You know, what right. um, as a Joho voter, what were your expectations versus the reality of what happened? I think uh, you know uh, there was undeniable looking at the 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 patterns of the past year or so that Barisan National would most likely win. But I think what a lot of people didn't expect uh, is the degree in which they won. Um, this Because this was uh, Barisan National, congratulations to them, a convincing, emphatic two-third majority victory. Um, so that, that was, uh, I think it didn't really... You know, a lot of people didn't expect the level of, of dominance they would have in this election. But I do have to point out, if again, if you look at voter voter shares, it's not that Barisa National has suddenly super popular. We cannot downplay that they have increased their popularity compared to the GE14 period. But the reason opposition uh, lost is number one, a voter turnout, which we, we have to take into account. But more importantly, how disunited opposition was. So on the one end, you have Barisa National. On the other hand, you have uh, opposition comp uh, contesting against each other. So you have Prikata National, Pakatan Harapan in one of the seats, Muda and Pakatan Harapan clashed. Um, and then you also have a Pajuang. Pajuang and all didn't actually uh, pick out a vote share. They lost um, all their deposits. But the point I'm, I'm trying to make is opposition is very disunited. And unfortunately, that's, it's, 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 I don't want to blame the political parties or anything because everyone should be able to compete and contest anywhere they want. But because it's the first-past-the-post system that we have, um, it, as long as it's more than a one-on-one -on -one battle, your votes are going to be split. And it was split in so many different ways. If you combine in a lot of areas, Parikata National plus Pakatan Harapan, 
then a Barca national would have lost an additional 18 seats, I think, and I think they would have only won about 20. Um, these numbers will come out as, as more data is revealed over the next few days. But I think if opposition uh, people are listening, like I think consolidation and all of that, it needs to happen now. Serious re-strategizing, uh, rethinking. Otherwise, it's... Um, results are going to be reflected again in GE15. Right. And I think that is one of the big differences as well from GE14, right? There was so much mm -hmm. unity among opposition back then. Absolutely. It's really not 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 the case this time around as well. Mm -hmm. Dash, quickly, Muda, yes. what did you make of their maiden showing? They managed to win one seat out of seven. Um, what what do you think of this? Um, honestly, um, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, of, if you're a Muda supporter, uh, just like if you're a supporter of any party, you want them to win more. But... Um, honestly, um, looking at the numbers, they never got trashed in any of the seats. It wasn't like some people were playing around before the elections that, oh, this is just this new party, um, social media type sort of thing that has absolutely nothing on the ground. That's not true. Um, uh, yes, admittedly, Amira, the only, the candidate that actually won, won it in a, in a, Harap, there was a Harapan, very safe seat uh, prior to uh, that. But, um, all the other candidates, when we look at Lim Weijet, a Chinese candidate competing in a Malay area with Felda voters and whatnot, he did really, really well. Um, you know, he was really in the battle. In fact, when the first uh, waves of votes that were coming in, he was in the lead. And then eventually he lost, but he really um, stuck to it. And so with, uh, as all the other candidates, um, even if you look at Larkin, um, yes, uh, Muda lost to uh, Pakat, uh, not just Barisa National, but also PKR. Um, and also uh, Perikata National. But if you look at the number of votes, um, it wasn't like a thumping, trashing defeat or anything like that. They really, um, really stuck it to the to the old parties or the more established parties with these, you know, bigger um, figures and, and whatnot. So I, I would say for a first time, um, you know, not too bad. Um, and I think they can use it as a platform to, to really build and, and move forward. Um, there's definitely some excitement. They are definitely bringing out um, young voters um, because they have the fresh faces, um, new style of politics. Like I said, putting a Chinese person in a Malay area and say, who cares? We go beyond racial lines. Anybody can contest anywhere. Um, and so I think there is, um, and I think, I think that they, they can take away a lot of positives from this. So a good start for Muda. And this is where we'll end our conversation today. Dash, thanks very much for speaking with me. Thank you so much for having me. I've been speaking to Dashran Johan, presenter with The Bigger Picture on observations during the Johor State election. You can catch Dash on Beyond the Ballot Box as well as Live and Learn on weekday afternoons. This has been Pressing Matters on The Morning Run. We've got the 10am News Bulletin coming up next and then it's over to Enterprise, VFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.